0: You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Hello and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Jerry Brewer, a sports columnist at The Post. Today I am joined by Doug Williams, Senior Advisor to the Washington Commanders President and the first Black quarterback to start in and win a Super Bowl. Doug Williams, by you bullet. Welcome to Washington Post Live. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. All right, Doug, let's get started. Uh, In 1988, when you won the Super Bowl, you were one of three black starting quarterbacks in the NFL. We began this year with 11, uh, nearly a third, a little more than a third of the league. Uh, What do you think of this moment? Well, you know, back then when we only had three, we we
1: were glad to have that because, before that, we didn't have any, um, but I see where we are now. 30% of the players at, at quarterback are black now. You say we made some progress, and uh, I think we all know we still got ways to go, but, but this week simplified the fact that uh, we got two black quarterbacks uh, starting in the Super Bowl, and a lot of people want to know why we have to say uh, we got two black quarterbacks rather than just saying two quarterbacks. Uh, that's a significant reason why we say we, we say. black quarterback because of history of black quarterbacks not getting the opportunity to play
0: i've been so moved doug by uh just how emotional you've been about jalen Hurts and patrick mahomes matching up tell us more about uh how personal this is for you well you know over the last uh week or so
1: you know i've had an opportunity to come to grips with it but Uh, When everything first happened, when when Patrick and the Kansas City Chiefs punched their ticket, which Jalen had already done earlier that day, uh, a lot of things came over me. You know, emotion was was high. Uh, I had water in my eye. No tears running down my face, but I had water in my eye because I'm sitting there thinking about not that we have two black quarterbacks playing in the Super Bowl. I'm thinking about the guys who were denied an opportunity before me uh, to get a chance to play uh, international football league you know james harris who who was playing but he was denied a lot you got joe gilliam a marlon briscoe jimmy ray you got too many guys who was not given an opportunity to to show their talent and, and let uh this world know that you know black quarterback did start playing when when i played in the super bowl so the emotion wasn't about that time as much as it was about the past I-
0: You know, I think people forget, Doug, that that's not ancient history. We're talking 30, 40 years ago. Uh, What were the misconceptions about black quarterbacks then? And how much do you think the game has changed in terms of respecting uh, diversity at the position?
1: Well, you know, it wasn't that long. You know, you're talking about 35 years ago when the first quarterback played in the Super Bowl. And you got to look at how old is this league? I mean, we're over 100 years old. And it's just 35 years ago that the first black quarterback uh, played in there. And I think that says a lot about where we are from diversity standpoint and how far we still have to go. And there's no doubt in my mind that we, we're on our way from that standpoint of the quarterback. But there's so many other things that has to be done. And I know everything take, take its time. But, you know, we're still talking about 100 years. Do it take 100 years to get something done when you already got people who can do the job? Uh, quarterbacks, you got coaches, you got quarterback coaches, you got offensive coordinators who can already do the job who are not being given the opportunity.
0: Doug, to your moment in, in 1988, you took a, a kind of a, a circuitous route in your career. Uh, how were you able to persevere?
1: Yeah, you know, we we talk about that route. James Harris and I, we always talk about the road that was less traveled. And that road that was less traveled mostly by uh African American quarterback. <laughs> but but I look at it from a standpoint, you know, when you're about Bill, you talk about Presidentville, you gotta think about what you are up against, what you gotta do, and what it you're supposed to do. If you do your job, uh you, you know, everything else will take care of itself. And and that year for me was was a rocky year, but at the same time I didn't give up. And you can't give up. If you give up, you might as well give out. And my thing was always been that uh I was the backup quarterback for a while, but in my mindset, uh, I wasn't a backup. I was a starter because that's what I had been all my life. And you got to just keep going forward. You can't fall for what people think of you, what they say. Uh, you can't worry about it. You, you, Your job is to make sure your head is between the lines on the field and not worry about what's off the field. And I think that's how I did it. I had great teammates who helped me. And I think at the end of the day, uh, it's all about the coaches and the, and the team that you're around most of the time. And all the other stuff don't, don't bother you.
0: Doug, you've been uh, just a really enthusiastic spokesperson for uh, all Black quarterbacks of your generation. I'm wondering uh, what the conversation is like between you and a lot of them. How do they feel about this moment? Well, I
1: I think they all kind of feel like I feel. You know, you're talking about a fraternity that is is not a fraternity. You don't have to do anything to to be in it, but be Black and be a quarterback in, in the National Football League to be in this fraternity. I think it's automatic i think when you see each other you know you all you all know what you've been through and what you had to deal with or what you had to deal with so you don't have to say a word about it you just talk about it and just talk about other things and, and just realize that uh we all a part of this and, and we got to go forward and I, I think this week with those two young guys man and, and the good part about it is still young they they really don't understand <laughs> i don't know uh, you know, what guys like myself, James Harris, on-back Warren Moon, uh, had to deal with. It. But but I think they got some kind of idea, especially this week, because I know they've been hit with a lot of questions about themselves being a black quarterback, the two black quarterbacks. Patrick has been to the Super Bowl. This is his third time. So I don't think they need to ask him, but I'm sure they're asking him about uh, Jalen and him being quarterbacks in this game. So that they understand where we are. And if it's not, it's a good history lesson for them and, and all the people who are big fans of National Football League.
0: Doug, tell me about some of the, the, those painful experiences. Like what, what, what is still, um, what was overt, what was kind of subtle and understood all these years later? What still stands out, out to you, from what, both from what you experienced, but then also from what some of your friends did?
1: Well, you know, what, what I experienced, I'm, I'm sure, was
0: a, uh, not as bad. I and mean,
1: I'm, I'm sure mine was bad. But, you know, I think about Marlon Briscoe, who, who played quarterback with the Denver Broncos. And the next year, he was traded to, to Buffalo. You know, I think that except they had a meeting with Doc Marlon. The next thing you know, he was traded. Uh, what James Harris went through when people uh, sent him death threat letters, you know, things like that. Uh, in my case, I only got uh, letters that would know it, a return address that said derogatory thing, got watermelons with, with a letter in it that say throw this to the ends, you know, maybe they can catch that. Just things like that, you know, but you look at it from the standpoint, you know, you, you can't answer people like that because a lot of people are not going to change. No, we'll change. Even this day, uh, you still got people wondering why we still talking about uh, black quarterback. There's it, a reason why. It's because we're over 100 years old and we just getting here and there's no reason why we should. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, you can't worry about that. Because, you know, I got drafted in, in, in 1978 in the first round in, in Tampa. You know, nobody knew who Doug Williams was we were going to a historical black college. You know, and you got a black quarterback, you drafted in the first round. Could we get somebody a lot better? You know, you had to deal with things like that. But at the end of the day, you just got to put your, put your head down and go forward. And, and that's what I did.
0: Doug, we're in a time now in which I think if you go back to the last eight MVPs, uh, four of them have been black. You know, counting uh, Patrick Mahomes as two MVPs twice. When you look at the list of highest-paid quarterbacks in the NFL, uh, you 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 see uh, Mahomes and and, and so many uh, black and or mobile uh, quarterbacks. The game has changed uh, to a point in which skills commonly associated with black quarterbacks are a necessity, um, because, uh, because of the athleticism of, of defensive linemen and so on and so forth. Do you think that the black quarterback is now the standard in the NFL?
1: No, I'm, I'm not going to say it's the standard in the NFL. I think what the black quarterback brings to the NFL is the ability to not only stand in the pocket and think and, and make decisions, but also if they got, got in trouble, they can get out of the pocket. I think that's essential in the league. Not that uh, the regular dropback quarterback, you don't run, you just stand back there and throw. Like, you know, there's not that many Tom Brady's, not that many Peyton Manning. Uh, you know, you need to be able to move these days. And, and both of those guys move well within the pocket. I mean, even Aaron Rodgers know how to move. Uh, Patrick Mahomes has been doing it for the last five years, the same thing that Aaron Rodgers has been doing. Patrick just knows how to how to translate and move in the pocket and make things happen. And Jalen, you know, you say what you want about Jalen Hurts, his athletic ability and all that. But Jalen transformed himself from when he was a couple of years in, in college in Alabama. He's not the guy you just look at as a runner. He's a guy that you got to respect as a guy who can stand the pocket and get the job done. And and, and, and if you turn your back on him. Next thing you know, he can be running up your heels. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a different trait than just your regular drive-back quarterback. And I think it's good to have that to be efficient in the NFL.
0: Do you think that that skill set would ever change? I mean, I'm starting to wonder, uh, you know, normally when you have athletic evolution, it forever changes the game. And so I'm wondering, I know that guy operating in the pocket is still going to be important to football. but I don't sense that uh, there is ever going to be a revolt on guys who can play outside of the pocket because the game has changed so much.
1: Well, let's look at it realistically. You know, Jalen, um, Patrick, all those guys, Lamar Jackson was probably graded harder than the other quarterback because they were trying to find out exactly what are they. And at the end of the day, they drafted him as a quarterback and they came to the, to their mind and their mindset is that he's a quarterback who just be exceptional athletically. And ain't nothing wrong with that. If you got that ability to get out the pocket, if you have to, it's better than getting sacked. And you look at it from that standpoint, but at the same time, you look at Philadelphia, they got two receivers that are dominant in the NFL, in, in and Deontay and, Smith and A.J. Brown. So in order to get those guys the ball, you got to stay in their pocket and get it to them. Which tell you, Jalen understands the game at the quarterback position from reading defense and making decisions. Now, the other part of this, he has the ability to get out of it, run when he want to, run when he see a, a play that's going to get him eight to ten yards. And ain't nothing wrong with that if you can do that. See, people forget that a few years ago you got a Hall of Fame quarterback and uh, 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 the guy from uh, San Francisco, can't think his name right now, but at the same time, he went 75 yards with a run. Was he athletic? They forget about Fran Target a long time ago, ran around the pocket, you know, all the time. He was athletic. So it's, 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 they pick their poison. Who they want to say is an athletic, and you know, because of an athletic ability, uh,
0: you know, he can't play quarterback. We should move him to another position. But I think we passed that now. we talked about how the game has changed. I'm wondering if systematically within the NFL, do you think anything has changed? that has allowed there to be greater equity, equality on the field? The game hadn't changed. I think what happened,
1: the coordinators and the coaches, they changed with whoever they have at quarterback. And you got to get the best out your quarterback. Everybody knows the quarterback is the one guy that you depend on most. You find out what he can do, and you take advantage of it. You know, a few years ago, Lamar Jackson came out. A couple of people say he should be a wide receiver. Well, you know, he was MVP one year. He threw 35 TDs. And if you're a quarterback, the last I checked, that's what quarterback does throw the ball downfield and get TDs. Now, because he's such an exceptional athlete, you can't, you can't deem him for that. That's fortunate that he can do that. That's the most important thing. And so when you talk about change, I don't know whether that has changed because you're still going to have quarterbacks to come in and just strictly drop back and, and just do it. But uh, a lot of coaches would probably like to have the ability with with the way the game changed defensively, you would love to have a guy who can get away from the rush because the rush has changed tremendously over the years and and you don't know where they're coming from. But if you can't escape, you pretty pigeonhole yourself to just that guy sitting in the
0: pocket. Doug, now with with, with so many more Black franchise quarterbacks, let's talk about who they are and what they care about, right? Patrick Mahomes has been a big supporter of Black Lives Matter. Other guys have have taken on social justice issues and and made that central to the conversation. What do you think about uh, how they have used their voices? And also, what do you think about um, how the public has embraced or has not embraced uh, the things that they care about off the field? Well, there's no doubt about it. Patrick Mahomes, with his 15 foundation, has been
1: doing tremendous work. in in the Kansas City area Uh, Jalen now who has come to the front for, you know, nobody can say anything bad about Jalen, no matter what he does in the community. I think at the end of the day, these guys understand um, the the difference between the haves and the have not and what they're trying to do with their situation as a popularity, the the ability to make money is to make sure that they give back to the people who uh, deserve it. I think at the end of the day, uh, you realize that a lot of people support what they do and they like what they do. And I think that's important that, that they can do that and, and I applaud them for that.
0: When they receive backlash, do you have any advice on them on how to handle it?
1: Well, it's hard to imagine Patrick, oh, uh,
0: Jalen getting into backlash at this particular
1: time. You know, I don't know where it comes from, but if they receiving backlash. I think that's just a, a very, very small segment who would give anybody backlash, no matter what they do. So you can't worry about those guys.
0: Doug, let's uh, transition to uh, go a little bit broader with this. Uh, Tony Dungy um, has always talked about being able to draw a direct line between um, the rise, if you will, of Black quarterbacks and the possibilities for Black coaches. Uh, if, if, if mindset shifted, uh, do you see a correlation there? There there is a
1: correlation, but the mind shift had not uh, adjusted a a chain. Uh, you know, a few years ago, Tony and, and Smith was two black coaches coaching in the Super Bowl, And I thought at that particular time, it would open up the minds of the owners to say, Hey, these guys got the ability to lead a team. But, but that has not happened. When you look at the landscape of black coaches now, uh, that has not happened. You know, quarterback coaches, uh, it just so happened that Jalen in, in Philadelphia has a, a black quarterback coach and, and Patrick has a black offensive coordinator. But at the same time, we're not giving guys the opportunity to be coordinators and, 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 and quarterback coaches. And we're definitely not giving them uh, the opportunity to be head coaches. And, and it's hard to say that the pipeline is not out there. Too many, too many guys who deserve an opportunity to be a head coach in this league, and it has not happened, you know. And I I keep going back to the enemy how many interviews that he had over the last two to three years, and he is not a head coach. And and the excuse they all use is he don't call a play. Well, you know what? And there has had two guys that left him and became head coaches that didn't call a play, so you you can't use that. You got to look at the, the whole scape of this and realize that. We, as a whole, as as blacks, are not getting that chance to be head coaches.
0: Doug, I don't think people necessarily realize how central you are to some of the the, the three hundred sixty degree view of solving this problem. Whether it's um, uh, black coaches, quarterback summit, like those things, you know, really kind of understanding the roots of the issue and, and, and trying to to make sure that that, uh, that guys are are getting the training and the opportunities. I'm wondering, uh, I mean, we're in the middle of another hiring cycle. Uh, uh, D'Amico Ryans uh, is, is one of the, the three coaches who've gotten a job, two, two other jobs are open, Indianapolis and uh, in Arizona. Uh, the Rooney Rule has been enhanced uh, to, in a lot of ways, but, but also to, to try to diversify um, interviews and opportunities at the coordinator level. Um, all of these efforts, um, I'm just wondering uh, how do you feel about in terms of policy um, and programming, uh, things are going, and how soon do you think we might see um, legitimate change as a result of these efforts, or at least an evaluation to say whether it's working or not? Wow. You know, I, I
1: wish I could put my hands on it. You know, James Harris and I, you know, we started the quarterback summit. Um, few years ago. And last year, you know, thank God that the D'Amico Ryan was there. He, he had an opportunity to present uh, himself. Uh, even the enemy was there presenting. We had so many other guys that that has the ability to be coordinators, coaches or quarterback coaches that that presented themselves. And we started this with, with exactly what you said in mind. And that is to give everybody a chance to see these guys, the owners, the germans, everybody get a tape for this, the ones that are not there. And they, they can see them guys present. And I think we wanted them to understand that these guys are capable. And um, we haven't had the success we would like to have, but I don't think you can quit. I think you got to keep going. And that's what we're going to do is keep bringing these guys to the front four and hope that they get a chance to be seen. A chance not only to be seen, but give them, give them an opportunity to coach. And we talk about the Rooney rule. I think the Rooney rule is great from a standpoint of bringing guys in. But I think at the end of the day, you know, we would love to see the Rooney rule, not only bring them in, but give them a chance to work, give them an opportunity to coach. And I think what has been taken advantage of is the Rooney rule from a standpoint of saying, well, you know, we brought in three or four guys. But this is who I'm going to hide. You know, a lot of times you feel like they bring them in to interview, but in their mindset, their mind is already made up before the interview is ever done. And then that's what we want to get past. I think that's the most important thing.
0: Doug, I can't talk to you about coaches without taking you back to Grambling um, and talking about Eddie Robinson's legacy. You're a part of his legacy. 200 NFL players are a part of his legacy. Uh um, tell me about Eddie Robinson, and, and what about him stands uh, stays with you today? Wow, you're talking about Coach Robinson, man. I, you know, I never ever will forget
1: um, playing for Coach Eddie Robinson. It, it was a different dynamic. You know, you 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 play for a guy who only talked about his life. He talked about America. He talked about putting yourself in position to be able to take care of yourself and your family. That was the most important thing. You know, football was big to him, but uh, the, the Joes was better. It, it, you know, there's the X's and the O's, and then there's the Joes. After East practice, you know, we talked about uh, what you should be on campus, you know, being a good student on campus, you know, respecting the, the ladies on campus, going to church, graduating. That was the most important thing. And, and now when I look back and I look, look where I am today, you know, yeah, football took care of itself. You know, he gave me an opportunity to do that. But at the same time, mindset wise, he gave me an opportunity to respect other people and to put myself in a position where I could take care of myself. So when you talk about Eddie Robinson, not only me, but all my kids and everybody else, he coached kids. You know, we all part of that that tree and and our kids become branches and it spread out like that because we all had an opportunity to spend time with Eddie Robinson.
0: Doug, we're in this moment. I mean, you, you coached uh, at Grambling, but now, now we're in this moment in which um, uh, more prominent former NFL players have gone to HBCUs. You still have Eddie George at Tennessee State. Uh, Deion Sanders uh, just left Jackson State for, for Colorado. There, there's this moment of attention and exposure for HBCU football that hasn't been there. Um, uh, at least in recent times uh what do you think about this and and what um what are we not talking about HBCU football that we should
1: well let
0: me say this there's only one
1: exactly one Deion Sanders in America you know i'm i'm not i'm not a, a, a big big fan of bringing in uh, ex players into black college who, who really don't understand black college, you know, and I can tell you this from when, when we was in school as a a player and even as a coach, when I went back, you know, one thing I always remember is what coach Robinson told us when we was playing and what he told us that, you know, we've done so much with so little, we can almost do anything without nothing. So what that tells you, we, we at the HBCU, we understand the funding. We don't have uh, the deep pocket alumni that send money back. So when you take on a job at an HBCU, that's one thing you should understand. And, but the most important thing is going to those HBCU and building character in the guys that are going to be playing for you. And, and you get a chance to roll up your sleeve, whatever you think the problem is. You know, you can do that without broadcasting. I think that's the most important thing. If if you want to be there, know what the problem is before you get there, and whatever has to be done, you do it. And and you know once you start doing that, you know you you find somebody who will rally around uh, with you to make sure you are able to, to do some of the things. You're not gonna be able to do everything. If you you know when you you hire a guy that played in the in the league that didn't go to an HBCU, they really don't understand the root of the HBCU. You know they was put there for the biggest reason HBCUs put that was for the education of the black and brown kids at a younger age that didn't have an opportunity to go to other schools. And at the end of the day, they end up having football teams. And we talk about these coaches in the time now. You know, forgot Coach Robinson won 400 games. You know, that was W.C. Garden in, at Jackson State. That was uh, Marino Castle at Southern University. That's Pete Richards from Winston-Salem at Southern University. And we've all, Jake Gates at Florida and him, We've always had good coaches, So I, I think what is, has what is transpired is the, the ADs and the president got cut up on Deion and not understanding there's only one Deion Sanders. What Deion Sanders brought to Jackson State was something that, out the ordinary, he, 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 he lifted Jackson State. And what he did with the lift of Jackson State, he made it broad across the whole scape that every HBCU is going to be with Jackson. That ain't going to happen. You know, so we got to look at it and be mindful what you're dealing with first. I think that's the most important thing.
0: Doug, we've talked about so many big picture things, but let's just talk about you as a football player. Uh, Obviously, we have um, uh, a couple of diehard uh, Commanders fans in our newsroom. And uh, uh, a producer uh, had a question that I want to quote him. uh, Doug, your team was down 10-0 in the second quarter. A lot of people thought the Denver Broncos were about to blow you out. And then you engineered an unprecedented five scoring drives in one quarter, scoring 35 points and throwing four touchdowns. What was it like to play the best game of your life on the biggest stage?
1: Wow, that's a good question. But, you know, the way I look at that is the fact that I had the best team that day that was working with me. You know it wasn't an individual thing it was a team thing you know you got to credit the defense for giving us an opportunity to do what we did you got to credit the offensive line who did exactly what they did because i was still limping i was hurt you know i couldn't get out of nobody way you got to credit the wide receivers for getting open and catching the pass timmy smith for running the football it had we had so many things working that day it was one of those situations whatever coach gibbs called it was working so uh I look at it, it was the epitome of what execution is all about. And and we did that on that particular day.
0: Doug, I got two things for you real quick. Um, which player today reminds you the most of yourself?
1: <laughs> wow.
0: You know, pe- people <laughs> wouldn't believe this, but uh I was able to move around
1: like Patrick, but not exactly like Patrick. You know, but I, I was strictly pocket guy. Uh wasn't going anywhere and, and didn't intend to go nowhere. But but I don't know what is anybody that play exactly like me and I don't know what I played exactly no, like nobody else. I think everybody got to actually be themselves. And I think that's the most important thing. But but some of the things that Patrick does, you know, I I remember my rookie year playing in Kansas City, playing in Kansas City, that's the thing about it. I, I was clearly the player of the game that, that that year. I was a rookie. And I can remember rolling to the right and about to get rolling to my left and about to get sacked and I put the ball in my left hand and threw it to Ricky Bell, you know, and he caught the ball with a first down. You know, I think of, when I look at Patrick do stuff like that, that's the only thing I think of myself as. But all the other stuff that Patrick does, you know, is nothing like I used to do.
0: I love how you said you didn't intend to go anywhere <laughs> as a <runner. laughs> Uh Last thing, I, I'm going to put you on the spot. Who you got on Sunday, Eagles or Chiefs? Both of them. I can't lose. I cannot. <laughs> So they're both going to play well and we're going to have a great game. Uh, I'll just give my prediction. I'm going to say Chiefs because we've got a producer who's an Eagles fan, so I'm going to say it, Chiefs. <laughs> uh, or, but, you, what do you say? You know, it's, it's unfortunate
1: that the game came in a time. So, you know, <laughs> at,
0: at the end of the day, I'm pulling for both of those guys. I don't want overtime, Doug, because that would affect my deadline. I wouldn't be able to write a good enough column, but I uh, will <laughs> I just needed to end in regulation. Okay, we got uh, it. <laughs> uh, thank you, man. Uh, unfortunately, we're out of time. We'll have to leave it there. Doug Williams, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.